Okay, take your Bibles with me this morning and turn back to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. This is the sixth lesson in this message, this series. The title of this one is All Spiritual Blessings, Part 6. I I think that especially uh, in the day and in the age in which we live, there Boy, I guess really that's a stupid statement to make. But I was going to say that there's a great amount of confusion about the Holy Spirit. But in reality, there's a great confusion and ignorance concerning God the Father and God the Son as well as God the Holy Spirit. Most in religion have reduced the Holy Spirit to little more than a co-pilot in their lives that has been sent their way by God to tickle their ears and to tickle their heart, to tickle their mind, and to tickle their understanding so that somehow, some way, if he tickles them enough and influences them enough emotionally that they'll make some sort of profession and come to him and accept him as their personal Lord and Savior. I think of all the things that I detest that has become so prominent, even more so as time has gone on. I, I meant this week, I actually thought about it earlier in the week, and I thought, I wonder exactly when this idea uh, came to the forefront. And Ken, as our local historian, you might go back and do some research on this because your pastor forgot to do it. I wonder when this thing of accepting Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior first really came to light, came to be the protocol. That's the way only the protocol of religion. Because when it came into existence, I, I would think, just off the top of my head, it had something to do with Charles Finney and maybe Andrew Fuller. Because these guys were so concerned about uh, that so few people were responding, they thought they'd help God along. You know, they'd make, they'd, they'd make it something more. And I, you know, there's, there's people that are like that when it comes to the truth of gospel. They say, what, what you say is just so hard. Well, you know what they said about the apostle? You know what Peter said about the apostle Paul's word? He said, Paul preaches some truths that are hard to be understood. That the unlearned, what do they do? They, it's not, not the problem of what, he didn't say, Paul, you're to blame for this. He said they wrestled what Paul said it was hard to them to their own destruction. It's not my fault. It's not the gospel's fault. It's not the Holy Spirit's fault if a man or a woman twists the scriptures to destroy themselves by the scriptures. It's man's fault. It's man's depravity. It's man's wickedness. It's man's natural enmity against God. His hatred of who God is and what he has done and how all things are done in this life for the glory of God. All of them. But this idea of the Holy Spirit, I mean, I, we, 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 all of us were raised, I guarantee you at some point in time, just think back, some preacher or some evangelist talked about probably silently at the end of the sermon when they lowered the lights at some revival meeting or at the end of a worship service with every head bow and every eye closed. They, he'll say, the Spirit, what's he doing? He's knocking at your heart's door. It's a, that's a reference to Revelation 3. 
and to all who open, he'll enter. Well, you got one problem with that being a knock at the door of lost people. He's talking to the seven churches. You hear that? The seven churches. And it's, it's not salvation, it's fellowships, what it is. That's what we're talking about. So today we come to this all important, all three of them are important. Listen to me, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, without all three, and all three of their works, there is no salvation. All three are one in purpose. And the purpose has always been the same for all three persons of the Godhead, to glorify and honor and magnify the true and living God. Not to change the true and living God, but to magnify and before the minds, wills, and understandings of the object of his love. It's got nothing to do with the lost, the reprobate. The reprobate will never bow. They'll, they'll be condemned. They'll be judged. They'll be cast in the eternal lake of fire, but they ain't ever going to bow the knee. Now, they won't. But he says, truly, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He told through Peter, he said, Lord's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Who? All the elect of God. All those vessels of mercy prepared before unto glory. So today we want to look at the work of God, the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> in, as the third person of the Trinity. Now, I said this in each of the previous lessons, but I'll say it again. Just like God the Father, and just like God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Holy Spirit is absolutely sovereign. You hear me? He is absolutely sovereign in His work of regeneration and conversion. Our Lord Jesus Christ, remember He had that, that rich, He had the... Uh, uh, Pharisee Nicodemus had sought him by night. He's already told him, told him the first time, except a man be born of God, he cannot born of the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus, we know his response, and our Lord didn't even answer his questions. He told him again, except a man be born of, wa of, the, of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so he looks at Nicodemus, and he tells Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh, flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. Now listen to this. The wind blows where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. But canst not tell whence it cometh? or whither it goeth, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. I'll tell you this much I know for truth. There will not be one sinner in heaven who has not been born again by the Spirit of God. And it's not like Mr. Graham wrote in his book, you accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, and then you're born again. That's, he wrote a book, How to Be Born Again. That ain't how to be born again. The wind blows where it listeth. And you hear the sound thereof. You hear it. 
Walk outside when a storm comes. You can hear the wind. Sometimes it blows from the north, some of the south, sometimes the east, sometimes west, sometimes hard, sometimes so slow that it's not even apparent that anything's moving but the wind's blowing. And he says that spirit, what does he do in every child of God, every elect of God? He blows. He blows. And here's the thing, the Holy Spirit. Now think about that. We're talking about the, the, we're talking about the spirit of his son. I can't help get that verse out of my mind where Paul said to those at Galatia, he said, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that are under the law. You hear that? We preached on this previously. That they might receive the adoption of sons. He redeemed us that we might receive the adoptions of sons. Now we could stop right there and ask a question. How long have you been a son? Huh? Or in light of what our Lord Jesus Christ said when he said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. What was lost? Huh? When Adam fell, all mankind fell, but who fell to? The church. Christ's bride. His son's. And I use sons in a, the scriptural sense of the word, talking about both men and women that make up his church, his, his lineage, his spiritual lineage. I forgot, where, where did I start that at? <laughs> Anybody remember? <laughs> that's bad when you... See, that's what you do when you get off your notes, Kenny. I tell you, don't, don't stray from your notes. Pam tells me all the time, you can't do that. Huh? Yeah, okay. But though every, every, one, every one of them, every one of the children of God are going to be born by the Spirit of God. And here's the thing. He can't be thwarted. And he cannot be resisted. You don't, you don't tell the Spirit no in this thing. Just like you could, could not say, Christ, don't die for me. Christ died, laid down his life for his people. I never remember that now. Galatians chapter 4. Sent forth this, because you are sons. That's where I got off at. I was talking about how long you've been son. We've been sons when he chose us in Christ our head before the foundation of the world. I knew I'd get back if I just... Those wheels turned slow, and, but eventually they'll lock back up. Be careful because I forget where I'm at. Because you are sons. You hear that? Because you are... Not in order for you to be sons. Because you are sons. And he started that chapter off saying that we were servants. Right? And as servants, we were under tutors. We were under people who guided us and directed We were still sons, even when we were under the law. Even when we were alienated in our minds by wicked work, even when we were enemies of God, we were still sons. Just like that prodigal when he was down in that foreign land. Because you are sons, listen to this, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son in your hearts, 
Who? Into whose heart? The Son's hearts. Every one of them. And that spirit of His Son sent into our heart, what does He do? He doesn't work in us. Come on, I want you to say say the words. Say the words. Call on Him. Call Him the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Know what He does. He cries for us. What does He cry? Abba, Father. Why? We're sons in Christ Jesus. Our Lord Jesus Christ said this, and I will, I will pray the Father. Christ says, I'll pray the Father. And He'll give you another comforter. And I, I, I just really come to, to love those words in John chapter 14, 15, 16. Another comforter. Who was the comforter before? Christ Himself, walking among them guys for those three years. He comforted them, did he not, when they were out there in the sea and the boat was about to sink and they were afraid. What did the comforter do? He came to them walking on the sea. I'll send another, I'll pray the Father. And listen, every prayer our Lord Jesus Christ prayed was answered. I'll pray the Father. He'll send another comforter. Now listen to this. That he may abide with you forever. Christ, as in his humanity, was not with them forever. He was their comforter. But in that humanity, when he was walking on this earth, his humanity presence with them as their comforter ended when they, they killed that body. Right? When he was raised from the dead, he comforted them still in his person. But he said, he had done all that. Where's he going? I'm going to the Father that the Father would do what he said he would do. What? Send the other comforter. The one I've prayed for. Even, listen to this. What's that comforter? Even the spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive. You see the two groups now? He's going to send the comforter to you and he's going to be in you forever. The world can't, the world can't receive him. Tell me the scriptures don't teach reprobation. Because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him. You know him. Yet a little while the world sees me no more, but you see me because I live. And this is our hope. Because I live, you shall live also. According to our Lord Jesus Christ, The Holy Spirit's work is very clear. Listen to this. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. You see the confidence Christ said, I'll pray the Father in John 14. I'll pray the Father and he'll send you another Comforter. This is John chapter 16. He says, but the Comforter, the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. Why is he going to send him? The Son prayed for it. The Son died for it. The Son ever lives for it. The send forth His Spirit. He said, Whatsoever I said unto you, He said, He will, I will, the Father will send in my name, He will, listen, He will teach you all things. How many things? All things. All things necessary for life, spiritual life, eternal life. He'll teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I've said unto you. Here's the one thing he brings to our minds in spite of our wretched selves. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. 
What? Peace on earth, goodwill toward man. What? We're reconciled. <laughs> He's not trying to reconcile us. We're reconciled to this God. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. That's hard to do, isn't it? Why? We don't dwell on the promises. He said again, but with the comforter is come... Whom I, whom I will send unto you from my Father. Now he said, I'm going to pray the Father that he'll send a comforter. That verse we just read to you just a moment ago, the Father's going to send him in, your, in my name. And here he shows that he and the Father and the Spirit are one. He said, I'm going to send him. You see that? Whom I will send from you and where I'm going to send him from, from the Father. Even, here it is again, the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father. What's the spirit of truth going to do? He shall testify. That's that word witness. It's used over in 1 John chapter 5. There are three witnesses. He'll witness, testify me, and he shall also bear witness. Same word translated testify. Because you have seen, you have been with me from the beginning. Look over at this one with me. Look at, at John chapter 16. I mean, these, these, these passages are intricate to the comfort and encouragement and peace of God's children. John 14, it's expedient that I go away. If I don't go away, who can't come? The comforter can't come. Chapter 15, he tells us, I'm going to send the comforter that the Father has promised to send, that I've prayed for him to send. John 16, he tells us, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I'll send him unto you. Verse 8, John 16. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment has come of sin because they believe not on me. See, that's the difference. Anybody that doesn't believe on him, what are they? They're guilty. Huh? They're not forgiven. Paul said in John 13, verse 38 and 39, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that by this man, by this person, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, all who believe. You hear me? All who believe. Every one of them are justified from all things for which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. He says here, going to reprove you of sin. Why? You hadn't believed on him as your Savior, as your Redeemer, as your forgiveness. See? Of righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot hear them now. Verse 13, how be it when he, the Spirit of truth, has come? He will guide you on into all truth. He shall not speak of himself. You hear that? He will not speak of himself. But whatever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me. The Spirit, the, the, the Spirit will never direct men to look to things in them. Gifts, talents, personal holiness and character and conduct, 
Reformation. Never look there. From the greatest to the least in the saints of God, where do they look? They look to Christ. Ever and always. So what is God the Holy Spirit? He's the great revealer is what he is. He's the great revealer. And apart from his work, no sinner can know the Father, and they cannot know the Son. And I'll tell you what, if you don't know the Father and the Son, according to John chapter 17, verse 1 through 3, what have you not possessed? You don't possess eternal life, because this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Now turn back over to our text. Look at verse 13, 14. I can actually see that clock. I even break it to his 1029. So it is. <laughs> Here's the work of the Holy Spirit in redemption. Verse 13, 14. In whom you also trusted. After that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that you believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. The ones who, notice he says, in whom you also trusted is in italics, but we're talking about believing, resting in Christ, coming to Christ, knowing Christ. So it, we, do read, we, do, we do trust, and we do. Every one of God's children trusts in Christ. And according to what he says Later on, with every one of them, there's not any sinner in heaven who has not believed. You believe that? It's a lot of believing, isn't it? But it's the truth. If we don't believe, we're not saved. But we understand where all belief comes from. And so the ones who trusted in Christ mentioned here, who's he talking about? Who's this letter written to? It's written to converted Gentiles. Keep that in mind. And I'd have you to notice here that they trusted, now notice, in whom you also, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after you believed. So what, which came first? Yeah, that old third, which came first, the chicken or the egg? I'll tell you what came first. They trusted after they heard the gospel. You hear me? Not before. I'm going to tell you, any man or woman that contends for the fact that somebody can be saved before the gospel or without the gospel does not believe the gospel. You hear that? Our Lord made it very clear. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How free? When the truth sets you free, you're free indeed. Apart from the truth, there's no salvation. You think about this. Before they heard and believed, they were altogether ungodly, just like us. Paul said to these same Gentile men and women, Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves service to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death, are of obedience unto righteousness. Two groups, sin and the death. That doesn't just include the LGBTQ people. 
That doesn't include just Osama bin Laden or Adolf Hitler or the people that have porn shops or the people that run pornographic websites or the people who own the beer joints and the, and the alcohol places or the people who promote ungodliness and immorality. It does include them. But I, like I've said for the 36 years that I've known the gospel, ain't none of that ever deceived any sinner. Think back, if you can think back to when you did, before you believed the gospel. Because see, that's the thing, you got to really think a long way back for me because I got real religious in my 20s. So I got to go back prior 20 years of age, back when Kenny knew me, back when I was in Manning, Louisiana, and I was a bad egg. Now I was. I'm not proud of it, but I never thought that everything that I did, and when I was rebellious, like I tell you, my daddy, I love him to death, and I'm so grateful we got our relationship straight toward the end of our life. But my daddy, I used to, everything my daddy told me to do, I was determined to go the exact opposite direction. And I did it just to anger him. It was, it was like I was going to show him. And I never, and when, I, when I was out drunk, so drunk, I didn't even know where I was at. And waking up, wondering how I drove the car to where I was at. And doing things I should have never done, thinking things I should have never thought, filled with prejudice toward not just blacks, but everybody. I never remember ever thinking, because I'd made a profession of religion when I was seven and another one when I was 16. I was 18 to 20 years of age now, doing whatever I want, feeling it was, it was whatever makes you good, feel good, do it. That's what, that was my motto. But every one of those things that I knew that I, that I did to make myself feel good, I never thought at one point in time that any of it or all of it was recommending me to God. I really was, even though I was happy in what I was doing, I felt guilty because I was worried about, wasn't worried about my daddy. I wanted to make my daddy mad, but I was worried about my mama. Worried about hurting her. Breaking her heart. And then I got religious, started teaching, and later became a deacon, and then started preaching. And the thing is, I was a servant of sin then. This is what gets all these people in religion. I was as much, if not more, a servant of sin when I had changed my outward character than when I was when I was that bad boy. You see that? Oh, no, there's a difference. To our minds, yes. But we don't judge things the way God judges things. Because everything that I did from 21 years of age to when I heard the gospel when I was 27, almost 28 years of age, every bit of it was in absolute rebellion against the way God says he's just to justify the ungodly. Seven years of idolatry worshiping and singing praises and magnifying and glorifying a God who could not save. Now you tell me, if we look at it from a scriptural standpoint, which one is the worst? Huh? By that that I did before was just depravity. 
What I did when I was religious was depravity on steroids is what it was. Because I spat in the face of our Lord Jesus Christ's redemption. I basically looked up at him and told him, you can't save me that way. You need my help. We all thought that. And we were so proud of ourselves and absolutely thoughtless toward the true and living God. We could not retain him in our thoughts. He said, said, but God be thanked that you were, you were the servants of sin. But you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. And it says, which was delivered you, literally translated means by which you were delivered. The gospel that set us free, the Lord delivered it to us, and then he delivered us by it. You see that? A counterfeit gospel, it will always identify a false Christ. And that's what most of our friends and families have believed in. And it results in what the scriptures calls a refuge of lies. God's gospel is his promise to us that he will save sinners only one way. Conditioned on Christ alone, based on his righteousness imputed alone. With no additions. At any point in time. <laughs> Never! Not by works of righteousness, which we've done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Our Lord said, go learn what the scriptures teach. I will have mercy, not sacrifice. Because sacrifice involves us doing something. God shows grace to the guilty. And see, his righteousness is always included in the gospel. I've told you this for years. If if a man doesn't stand up and preach out Christ's righteousness as the sinner's only ground, hope, and cause of salvation, every time he stands up to preach, he has not preached the gospel. Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to every man that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein... They're in where? In the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed. You see that? Only way you're going to know how you can be righteous, it's got to be revealed. And the only place it's revealed is where? It's in the gospel. To the Jew first and also the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from the Jew, uh, righteousness of God revealed from the Jew first. Uh, Bart asked me the other day, he said, how long do you think you preach? With, I told him, I said this, this might be self-indicting. I said, until my mind starts playing out. <laughs> I hope these are not indication. He says, for therein is a righteousness of God revealed from faith, from this book, to faith, what? That faith that's given by God, the faith of God's elect. As it's written, the just, the righteous, shall live by faith. 
They don't, they, they, they don't live by faith to get just or get righteous because they are righteous. What do they do? They live by faith in that same righteousness. And I tell you, when, I, when I read words like this, in whom you also trusted after that, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, I can't help but think of Paul's words in Romans chapter 10 where he says, How shall they call on him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear except one preach? And how shall they preach except they be sent? How beautiful are the feet of them that bring glad tidings of good things to come. But he makes another statement here. He said, Whom you also trusted at that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom you also tr- believed you were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Verse 14, which is the earnest is the earnest, and notice what he says here, it's the earnest of our inheritance. What's an earnest? An earnest is a pledge. It's a down payment is what it is. I always think about it like this. If, if I were to take my, my ring and go to a pawn shop, turn my ring into pawn shop and the guy would evaluate the ring and he would say, well, the ring's worth X number of dollars. And I'd say, okay. And so he'd give me the money that he said the ring was worth and he would take my ring and he'd give me a little piece of paper. And I had so many days to either bring him my money back and secure my ring or the ring became his. And so that money, what, what is it? It's a down payment, this thing is. It's a down payment of a, a plump promise or a pledge that I will come back and redeem that. I'll, I'll come back and pay what's required to get back my possession. And this earnest, this referred to in verse 14, is what confirms an agreement or a contract and assures the right to the things that are agreed upon. That's what a, that's what a, that's what a earnest, the word earnest actually means. And it's, it's a lesser part of the whole. We're told in verse 14 that the ceiling in verse 13, it is the down payment of our final glorification. The fact that we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, not only are we saved, but what do we have a guarantee of? That we're going to be delivered not just spiritually, our souls. What else is going to be delivered one day? Huh? Our bodies. Our bodies. And a seal, when we think about it, it's put on a document. They put a seal on it. You know, and it's sealing has to do with back in Roman time. They put the, we still see it. They'd seal an envelope that they were sending somewhere put a piece of wax on it, and they'd heat the little gold thing up or brass, and they'd put it down on the seal. And the seal was not to be broken by anybody but the one who was entitled to open and read the contents of the letter. And th- this seal, when we think about it, is put on a document in order to ratify it or to certify the agreement. And he tells us that believers are sealed, how? With the Holy Spirit of promise. The Lord Jesus Christ promised to send the Holy Spirit to indwell us. And as the Holy Spirit of promise, he testifies of our personal interests. This is the Spirit's work in us. He 
testifies to our spirit that what are we? That we're sons of God. The spirit does that. And this sealing then has to do with assurance that we're adopted into God's family. We first hear the gospel, and then we believe the gospel. And by God's grace, upon believing the gospel, we're sealed, and we're assured that the Holy Spirit indwells us because our faith, what is it? It rests in the promise. It believes the God who told us He'd save us. And this sealing done in us by the Holy Spirit is, is the assurance that we're truly converted, that we're one of God's elect, and it's not mystical, it's not emotional, though our emotions do get involved. It's factual based on God's promise, His Word. Now, Paul wrote this concerning the fact that every redeemed sinner, every regenerated and converted child of God is filled with the Spirit. Listen to you. If any man, I, I heard it all my life in false religion, and even now I hear people, well, you know, you can be saved, but you're not, you know, you get filled with the Spirit later. Can you give me the Scripture reference for that? Show me where the child of God, regenerated and converted by the Holy Spirit, is not filled with the Spirit. It's not a gradual feeling. Everything the Spirit has, it's in us. You hear me? Listen to this. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, you get the Spirit later. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. You're not Spirit-filled, you're not Christ. Well, that brings this question up. How can I tell if I've got the Spirit of Christ? Now, I'm not wanting to send you down a fruit inspection hole trying to get you to look into things, the wrong thing, but how can I tell whether or not I truly have the Spirit of God dwelling in me? Listen to this. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So I know this much. If I have the Spirit in me, what am I? I'm led by the Spirit. Now, how'd they teach you you were led by the Spirit? Oh, you go to church. You read your Bible. You start giving a tithe. You start going on mission trips. You're like the other night when Pam and I were out there at the Mexican restaurant Friday and the guy came in there with a, a boatload armful of banana nut bread coming to every table, selling a little old small loaf about that big for ten ninety five to feed it, it was his ministry. That was his ministry to feed and house people by selling loaves of bread. A banana nut bread for ten ninety five a head, and I, I he he left Pam a little document, but I was like, we're not interested, sir. We're not. Interested. And people people like y'all don't care about it. Yeah, we care about people. I thought about that the other day. As a child of God, if you saw a child or a mother or a family in need, what would you do? Would you just turn your back and walk away? Could you? As a humanity, if you have any true humanity, you won't do that. We're caring people, and if we're filled by the Spirit of God, we'll meet the needs of people. Now, we might not be able to do everything we can, but we care and we're concerned about people. That's not our ministry. I always think about that guy that's dead and gone in my neighborhood, claimed he believed the gospel. I found out he was a Calvinist. He ended up out at this church out in, in uh, Vienna, out there at that big Baptist church out there, 
And the reason he ended up, I, I told him about us, and, and he looked at our website, and he said, yeah, he said, yeah, we believe the same way. And I'm like, we do? He said, yeah. He said, if I, me and my wife come there, what can we do? And I said, what do you mean, what can you do? He said, what do y'all do in your community? I said, we preach the gospel. He said, no, no, what do you do for your community? I said, we preach the gospel. He said, y'all don't build houses or go on mission trips. I said, we preach the gospel. And we trust that those who believe the gospel, they'll do what's necessary for themselves and for others. Well, we just feel like we got to do something. I said, come and sit and listen. That's doing something. You don't have to do anything to be a member of the house of God. The greatest encouragement that you can give as you come here is to one another for you, by your presence. And I tell you, it's, it's easier for me to preach when you're sitting in front of me than if you're not sitting in front of me. It encourages me. And I tell you, it's, it's a fellow, fellow labor in Christ and your brother in Christ or sister, you, you as my sister in Christ, the greatest discouragement to me is when I see you're not getting fed and filled. Huh? That you don't have any, you will not come and take that which is for your comfort and your encouragement. I hope that you go away from here encouraged on Sunday mornings. I don't want to send anybody away downtrodden over what they've heard. Not at all. Well, that word, many are led. How how can I know I'm led by the Spirit? Well, here, here it is. That word, our led, means to lead by laying hold of. And this way to bring to the point of destination. What's the point of destination? Our final glorification. Christ used the same word. He said, Another sheep I have which are not of this foe, them also I must, or translated lead, bring. He leads us to the, de- to the final destination. And see this ceiling, this assurance of my personal interest in God's inheritance, tragically it doesn't exclude doubt. We're still going to doubt. We'll still be filled with fear. But folks, it, doesn't, it, 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 it does prevail. The ceiling prevails over the doubt. All true believers are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God and they're already sealed. And we believe God's promise, and we expect Him to fulfill His promise because we know the God who made the promise. What's the promise? The redemption of the purchased possession. What's that talking about? He's going to glorify us. Brethren, John said, I don't know what, what we shall be, but we know this, that when we see Him, we'll be like Him. We will. That's our hope. That's our confidence. And see, Christ has purchased for us glorification, both body and soul. And what did it cost him? His precious blood. And the Holy Spirit, he'll never leave us. Even when when we die until we're glorified, he he will preserve our bodies and he will raise our V-I-L-E bodies. And make it like unto the Lord Jesus Christ, glorious body. And here, here's the last thing. Under the praise of the glory of his grace. 
This means into the praise of all the infinite protections of God's character, revealed and honored in the absolute certainty of the final glorification of all God's elect in eternal bliss and glory. We can see that spiritual wickedness, the spiritual wickedness of those who deny these truths that glorify God. In any doctrine that's, uh, that does not glorify and honor the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in their sovereign works is an attack on their persons, it's an attack on their offices, and it's an attack on the work that they have attributed to themselves. See, he's told us the Father chose. You deny that, what have you done? You've attacked the Father who chose. Christ redeemed by his obedience unto death. You say, well, it's left up to me to decide. You've attacked who? And if you say that it's not the Holy Spirit's work to regenerate and convert you, that you have to believe so you can be born again, you've attacked his words that he has attributed himself. Now we'll stop right there and we'll come back and we'll pick up in verse 15 next Sunday. You dismiss the worship hour.